The church is made up of people who believe Jesus is their savior and have made him first in their lives. The church isn't made up of perfect people. It's made up of people who are learning about following Christ and learning how to love God and each other. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss the importance of the church and how each of us, as the body of Christ, are a vital part of it. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me, as always, is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. It's good to be with you, Kirk. How are you today? I'm well. Had a wonderful Sunday in worship. I thought our worship was stellar on Sunday, and I was able to hear Pastor Steve twice, and uh, I heard our uh, our sermon in uh, the contemporary service, and I heard the sermon in the traditional service. Steve is always good in his preaching, but it was a particularly effective sermon, I thought. He really concentrated on what it means for the church to be holy, and what do we mean by Catholic? That's a, something that trips up a lot of Protestants in the Apostles' Creed, why we say Catholic. Yeah, I thought it was uh, really well done. And uh, he was very uh, animated, and uh, I just thought it was a great message. And great music, and a good time of prayer. Uh, John Cadis was uh, really good in his prayers. Your intro was about to the uh, confession was uh, quite clever, too, if I have to say so. You know, that was... Uh, that was very clever. Yes, a little bit of movie-making magic. Uh, my wife, Lori, and our older daughter, Shelley, were both extras in the Feeding of the 5,000 filming for the Chosen TV series. So uh, when you're an extra, you have to pretend like you're saying anything, but not say anything. So you mouth the words, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, nine, ten, you know, things right, like that. Right, so, right. and we want to do more than just mouth the words uh, in our relationship with Christ and following Him. So, yeah, that was uh, that was very well done. Well, we're uh, looking at, as you mentioned, the Holy Catholic Church, and uh, it's one that people do get hung up on that little C. And uh, I thought Steve did a really great job of describing what that is and the role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I made I began to think how well the people that designed our creed or wrote our creed had the Holy Spirit mentioned um, and then the church mentioned. So it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then the church, and we haven't even gotten to salvation yet. That's right. And uh, as Steve mentioned uh, the sermon the previous week, talking about the Holy Spirit focuses on the individual's relationship, our, our own individual relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And now we're talking about how God works through us collectively in the church. And for some adults today, uh, millennials and other people who have been hurt by the church, uh, it's uh, a hard concept. Uh, you are... Uh, you and I both have stories about that. Uh, what have you thought about that? People that are just afraid even to call themselves Christians these days. They want to use other terms. Well, yeah. And uh, R.C. Sproul in his book, Renewing Your Mind, Basic Christian Beliefs You Need to Know, has a little parable that I thought was particularly good at describing this situation we're experiencing today. 
people are real intrigued and like the person of Jesus, but they have a lot of questions about the church. Sometimes they don't even use the word church. They say organized religion. Right. Yes. Then they must. Pref- yeah, I don't I don't want to get involved in organized religion. I prefer disorganized religion. Is that it? Yes. Uh, sometimes our own spiritual lives are kind of disorganized. So I understand that. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, this story is it goes like this. It's, he says it was a lively discussion group made up mostly of new Christians. The subject was the institutional church's worship, sacraments, prayer, fellowship, and organization. The church is, most agreed, a corrupt and worthless waste of time. Churches may have had their place, one young man agreed, but now we have God's word. We certainly don't need a preacher and some old confessions telling us what it means. The Holy Spirit does that. Churches are full of hypocrites, most of whom probably aren't even saved. And he goes on to then say that one of the members of this group sort of slid away, left his chair without anyone really noticing, and he went into another adjacent room, and in the darkness of the room, he said, I'm sure glad it's just you and me, Lord, but Lord, you and me together is nice, but it's still kind of lonesome. Right. Uh, what do we do without the fellowship of believers? You know, when I, th- when I think about the church, I think about people, um, imperfect people like me, and we're trying to follow Jesus, we're trying to support one another, we're trying to do good in the world, trying to tell others about the new life in Christ. Those are all good things. Right. Uh, Lori and I coming back from Texas just uh, Saturday night, we stopped for a bite to eat in the airport, and we started talking with uh, two uh, younger adult women, both of whom did not like to call themselves Christians. They're excited about Jesus. Mm. Want to call themselves followers of Jesus or Christ followers, but they just had been hurt by the church so much. Uh, but they were talking to us about things that they were excited about in their spiritual lives. So you know, we need to uh, continue to listen to the church wounded and try to be the church Christ wants us to be. It's kind of like being the person your dog thinks you are. You know, <laughs> trying to be, be the church that Christ believes that we can be. Yes, that's good. So were these women part of the chosen army? They were not part of the chosen army. Okay. Uh, no, but uh, uh, they were intrigued because we were both wearing chosen T-shirts, you know, matching T-shirts. Uh, Lori got to go to the filming. I did not, but I got the T-shirt. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I got to see the, I don't know what it was. It was sort of a, it was on YouTube, a live sort of telling of the weekend or the week that they had filming this that Lori and Shelley were a part of. And so I was watching and looking for them to see if maybe they showed up on camera. And you were texting me about, where are they? Where, where should I look? They kept on saying, every time they took a picture, they showed the crowd and said, oh, we were just behind that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see if they get in the final shoot. Yeah. Well, we should probably get into the conversation uh, related to the sermon. And Pastor Steve preached out of Ephesians. So maybe we'll start with reading that text. Sure. Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, and verses 18 through 22 says, 
for through him, that is through Jesus, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a living holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Hmm. Yes, I think uh, Pastor Steve chose a great text to unpack this idea of the Catholic or the Catholicity of the church. So uh, let's emphasize that again. When we say Catholic, the word Catholic itself means um, general or universal. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the sense in which it is used here. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, just a couple weeks ago, somebody at Mountain View was asking me, well, why is the Pope so important? And I gave a horrible answer, Kirk, just horrible. You know, I started talking about the historical background of that, you know, and the five holy sees, the Holy See of Rome, the Holy See of Antioch, and, and the Holy See of Jerusalem and whatnot. And did you get into apostolic succession and things like that? I, I did not. I got into all the early creeds, you know, and what divided the... Uh, Oriental Orthodox Christians from the Eastern Orthodox Christians. It was a horrible answer. Kirk. So a half hour later, what happened? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really. So I'll, I'll try to do a better job today. So I, I thought instead of going into those things, which are kind of, they're all true, but maybe not explaining why, why in the world do we as Protestants, when we say the Apostles' Creed, say the word Catholic. So mm -hmm. we can talk about an experience I had. It was a few years ago, there was a a conference in Washington, D.C., and it was for uh, a conference called together by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was all in defense of persecuted Christians around the world. There are more Christians being persecuted in the 21st century than in any previous century, which is a startling statistic. Mm. And so we had Christians from 130 countries. There are 600 delegates. Two of us were from ECO, and everybody else was from a different uh, denomination. So you had Protestant Catholics, uh, Eastern Orthodox Christians, Oriental Orthodox Christians, I mean, the whole gamut of different traditions. And when we um, were together, we heard about some horrible stories, but also some great examples of people who have been martyred or tortured for Christ, but still uh, claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So one of the stories shared was uh, about the Coptic martyrs. You may remember that story, Kirk, a few years ago, the uh, when ISIS um, beheaded a number of uh, Egyptians. Mm. And uh, before they did that, they asked each of them to renounce their faith in Christ, and none of them did that. Mm -hmm. So we had some of the relatives of those people come and, and share their experience. And what was less known was that one of those Egyptians actually wasn't an Egyptian, he was from the country of Chad. And uh, he wasn't a Christian, but he saw the example of faith of all of these uh, Coptic Christians who would not renounce Jesus and, and uh, claimed faith in him up until their death. And they came to this man, he said, will you, or they said to him, will you renounce Jesus? And he said, no, their God is my God. And then he died, mm -hmm. a new believer in Jesus. And then there was another story. Uh, there was a priest who was uh, uh, Iraqi, a Chaldean Catholic priest. And he was kidnapped and tortured for nine days. They're trying to get the whole Chaldean Christian community to 
take up arms and you know, you know side with a particular side in the ongoing conflict in Iraq. And at one point, these ISIS people said, well, why don't you take up arms? And the priest responded, we already have two good arms. We have the arm of love and the arm of forgiveness. We don't need your arms. Um, and uh, ISIS destroyed most of the churches and a lot of buildings there. They said, well, uh, he, he was explaining, well, because we didn't have houses, we didn't have churches, we became one church. We became one family. It drew the Christian community closer together. So we're hearing these you know, awful stories and yet beautiful stories of faith. And when I say I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it's because I want to make sure that I know that these people who have suffered for Christ are also my brothers and sisters. Mm. Uh, I'm reminded of that verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member, that is one member of the body of Christ, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, that's why we use that, because we identify, we, we have a particular tribe, eco, we have a particular tradition, the Reformed tradition, we have a particular spin on that, Presbyterianism. But we're not the only game in town. Mm-hmm. There are other Christians and uh, other traditions, other tribes, mm. and we're all trying to follow Jesus as best we can with oh, God's help. That's great. Well, I see in our notes that you have some some information from our essential tenets. And even before that, I want to point out something that's not in the essential tenets, but from another part of the Eco Constitution, which has the essential tenets, that faith statement. Mm. Then it also has kind of our rules, basic rules and regulations, which is called our polity. Mm. And the very first two paragraphs of the eco-polity talk about what is the church? What do we mean by by saying the church? I thought that was a good reminder uh, to us. It, it, It draws on a lot of scripture, a lot of things that we find in the Apostles' Creed and other places, uh, but a really good su- summary of uh, what it means to be the church and, and why it is important. Mm. So this is how our polity begins. The church is visible whenever two or more are gathered in Jesus' name. The congregation is composed of members of the body of Christ who have covenanted together to engage in the mission of God in their particular context with Jesus Christ as head. Each congregation should strive to be a tangible, if provisional, demonstration of the kingdom of God. Congregations exist in a variety of forms, yet have these ends in common, sharing the good news of reconciliation to God in and through Jesus Christ, gathering people for divine worship and nurturing relationships, for spiritual accountability and mutual ministry all while making disciples to be the sent people of God in the world. While believers may experience their membership in Christ's body in spontaneous and unstructured gatherings, they fulfill the Lord's purpose best when they covenant to fulfill the biblical vision of membership in particular congregations. These covenantal relationships provide the real-life context for the Holy Spirit's ongoing transformation of believers into spiritual maturity by nurturing, understanding, encouragement, correction, and discipleship in mission. That's great. 
and, and that really crystallizes, I think, our answer to people that say, well, why, why go to a church? Why participate with other believers? Is it enough to just be a Christian on your own, to be a Christ follower on your own? And, well, I know that's not because we really need each other. We need that encouragement. We need people to hold us accountable. We need to come together and, and praise God together and pray together and learn together. Well, that's really well written and complete. A good, good summary. Yeah, makes us proud of, of our tribe yes. and our church. Yeah, they've done some good work in those uh, essential tenets. Well, Kirk, there's a phrase in that Ephesian passage which is uh, kind of hard to get our minds around, and that is the use of uh, Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And that's where I think archaeology can help a little bit in explaining that. So. There are a couple places in the Bible where you use that imagery of cornerstone, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's translated cornerstone and sometimes keystone or capstone. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought maybe we could clarify that a little bit. Steve didn't have uh, time to get into that in his sermon. Mm-hmm. So uh, here I'll give you this one verse in the Bible, and this is from Matthew 21, verse 42. So here it is in the New Revised Standard Version. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in Scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was amazing in our eyes. Now that same phrase, the stone has become the cornerstone, in the NIV version it is capstone. Mm-hmm. ESV version it's cornerstone, and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a quote from Psalms, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Mm. So in the Old Testament that was written in Hebrew, uh, the phrase is cornerstone. But when you come across it in the New Testament, uh, instead of cornerstone, they use a Greek phrase that means a keystone. Like in an arch, if you're building an arch, the last stone that goes in place is the one at the very top of the arch, and once that's in place, it holds the whole arch together. Mm -hmm. That's a keystone or a capstone. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of wonder, well, what's being described here? Is Jesus the cornerstone or is Jesus the keystone? And it says, well, it depends. There's even um, one verse in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4, where it uses the Greek word for capstone, and then later on it uses the other phrase for Cornerstone. So uh, it seems that the early church was using both phrases to describe Jesus. Mm. And when the Roman army went to conquer a city and they would set the city on fire, they would place fires around either the cornerstone or the keystone. Because if you're able to crumble those stones, the whole structure will come down. And uh, Romans did both. And we see some of that destructive power in Jerusalem in the excavation done around the Temple Mount. You can see all these great stones that were part of the temple back in Jesus' day that were thrown off the Temple Mount platform onto the streets below and were excavated within the last 50 years or so. Mm. Well, our uh, confessional standards, uh, we've been looking at a variety of those. Uh, We have the Question 54 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 54 says, What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? And the answer is, I believe that the Son of God gathers, protects, 
and preserves for himself in the unity of the true faith a congregation chosen for eternal life from the beginning to the end of the world and from among the whole human race by his spirit and his word. Moreover, I believe that I am and forever will remain a living member of it. In other words, uh, even when the church is not at our best, even when we are not at our best, we still are part of it. There's that uh, apocryphal story of Martin Luther, uh, where Luther is claimed to have said, uh, the church is a whore, but she is my mother. <laughs> Luther didn't say that. I think there's later Lutherans that uh, said that about him. But it's the same thing. Yeah, the church is imperfect, but right. God's here and God's doing something among us. And I will ever be a part of that. And then from the Westminster Confession, uh, what did you grab from that this time? Well, there's a whole section about the church and the beginning of that and the end of that. I think that were particularly helpful in understanding, well, why do we call ourselves part of the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church, and not focus just on our own tradition? Well, and I see, too, this is uh, talking about the invisible church. So what we read from the eco-polity statement earlier, it said the church is visible when, right? Exactly. And now here in this confession, I see that word invisible. So we might have to explain invisible and visible. So this is John Calvin's way of explaining this in his uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. Mm. Uh, or the Calvin's Institute, as the shorthand version of that book is called. So he talks about, uh, how do you know if somebody's really saved or not? And the answer is, well, we don't. That's, that's beyond our pay grade, really, to make that call. It's Jesus that makes that call. Mm. Calvin's you know, very clear, you know, Jesus, not us. But we can declare to one another, oh, yes, you're, you're a member of the church. So that's what he means by the visible church, you know, people that we know, uh, people who have been baptized, who love Jesus, uh, who are flawed because we're all flawed, we can say, yes, you're really part of God's people. You're really one of the saints. When the saints go marching in, you're going to be there too. Mm. That's really true. There are other people we don't know about. And uh, about those folks, maybe folks who have been church wounded that don't show up for a regular worship in any congregation that are trying to follow Jesus. Those are people that we don't know well, but Jesus knows them. Mm. And Jesus will figure out who's part of the invisible church. We don't, we don't have to worry about that. That's good that we don't have to worry about that. We have plenty to worry about. We certainly do. So uh, here in uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been are or shall be gathered into one under Christ as its head and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion together with their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, through which people are ordinarily saved and union with which is essential to their best growth and service. Mm. That's the visible church. There's an invisible church also, but the visible church, you know, one we can identify, people we know, people part of our congregation. Okay. 
And then near the end of that same section, it says that this Catholic church has been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. And particular churches, which are members of it, are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. The purest church under heaven, or the purest churches under heaven, are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so denigrated as to become apparently no churches of Christ. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. So again, that emphasis on, you know, we can't figure it out, all of this. You know, Christ will do that. But Christ will always ensure that there are people and there are groups of people. The, the church goes on, even mm-hmm. if particular congregations close or particular expressions of Christ get so far from the gospel, they're hard to recognize as people that really want to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. God's got this. Yeah, that's great. And we also have the Theological Declaration of Barman. And uh, we've looked at Barman in previous podcasts. So, Yeah, a great confession from a time when the church was really failing, the church in Germany. So they got together, uh, Lutherans and Reformed Christians, they got together and produced a statement about how, hey, the church is imperfect, but we're going to hold it the church rather than something else. Hmm which was the real challenge of that generation of German Christians. Should we hold to the church, or is the state going to take the role of the church from now on? I'll read that. In fidelity to their confession of faith, members of the Lutheran Reformed and United Churches sought a common message for the need and temptation of the church in our day. With gratitude to God, they are convinced that they have been given a common word to utter, It is not their intention to found a new church or to form a union, for nothing was farther from their minds than the abolition of the confessional status of our churches. Their intention was rather to withstand in faith and unanimity the destruction of the confession of faith and thus of the evangelical church in Germany. In opposition to attempts to establish the unity of the German evangelical church by means of false doctrine, by the use of force, and the insincere practices, the confessional synod insists that the unity of the evangelical churches in Germany can come only from the word of God in faith through the Holy Spirit. Thus alone is the church renewed. We are bound together by the confession of one Lord, one and holy Catholic and apostolic church. So in other words, even the church that was struggling to be faithful to Christ, they knew that they weren't perfect. They, they weren't on the same page about every particular doctrine, but they knew they were going to abide in Christ. Hmm. Uh, they knew they were going to be faithful to Christ and num- not some poor substitute right. for Christ. Right. Well, in each week in this series, we've been looking at a different apostle and And today we have Matthew. And we know a little bit more about Matthew, don't we? Well, I think uh, the Chosen has given him flesh, and we get to see maybe at least their interpretation of Matthew. And for those of you who haven't watched uh, the Chosen film series, uh, the character of Matthew is somebody that is very focused on Uh, numbers and precision and not very socially adept. 
He's very socially awkward. Um, but uh, Matthew is the author of the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament. And Matthew was a tax collector, so he was in cahoots with the Roman occupying force, and Jesus called him. Mm-hmm. And just as Jesus called him, uh, Matthew throws kind of a going away party at his house. And uh, of course, Matthew invites other tax collectors. <laughs> and the Pharisees come by and say, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're doing with tax collectors and sinners. And, and Jesus says, well, yeah, of course I, I am. Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of the words. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Right. So uh, according to God, even if we're socially awkward, we'll fit right in. Yeah. God has a place for us. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I really appreciate the Matthew character in uh, The Chosen. I, he may be my favorite. I'm not sure. You know, this whole podcast is sounding like a ad for The Chosen, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Maybe we'll send it into The Chosen. Right. Yeah. You should watch it. It's good. Well, we've also looked at a different C.S. Lewis quote, and I'm wondering, today I was wondering, what would what would Bruce choose? And I was thinking you were going to maybe go with uh, screw tape letters, but you went somewhere else, right? All right. I went to C.S. Lewis's uh, famous book, Mere Christianity. And the term Mere Christianity, of course, is one he borrowed from Richard Baxter, who we heard about on our previous podcast. Mm-hmm. So a reform pastor came up with that term, mere Christianity, what's essential. So C.S. Lewis begins talking about that. It is easy to think that the church is a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services, just as it is easy to think the state has a lot of different objects, military, political, economic, and whatnot. But in a way, things are much simpler than that. The state exists simply to promote and protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire. A couple of friends having a game of darts at a pub. A man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That is what the state is there for. And unless they are helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are simply a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ and to make them little Christ. That's a phrase that Lewis is borrowing, not from Richard Baxter, from the Reformed tradition, but from Martin Luther, the Lutheran tradition, Mm. little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Mm. So a great reminder. Yeah, that's of good. what the church is called to do. Yeah, to draw people to Christ. Well, and and Kirk, usually we have also something from the reform tradition, our reform tradition. Yes. Uh, um, did you find something that can help I, illuminate I, these I, times and these days? I did. I was. Of course, I read all that R.C. had to say, but I'm also reading Growing in Christ, uh, the J.I. Packer book, and right. it's, uh, it's quite good. This quote, I thought, maybe spoke to us Presbyterians, so all right, have a listen. The evangelical theology of revival, first spelled out in the 17th and 18th centuries, 
and the present-day emergence of charismatic renewal on a worldwide scale reminds us of something which Roman Catholic and Protestant disputers in their concentration on doctrinal truth tended to miss, namely that the Church must always be open to the immediacy of the Spirit's Lordship, and that disorderly vigor in a congregation is infinitely preferable to a correct and tidy deadness. Yeah. I thought that might be particularly good because we're always the, you know, we're the frozen chosen and, uh, you know, we want to do things decently and in order. Yes, but we also have to remember, as uh, as pointed out here, we need to be open to the Spirit's moving. The Spirit corrects and guides and leads us. Mm. Um and we want to be led. We want to be led by God. We don't want to be stagnant in our faith. Right. Kind of the uh, ardor we talked about. Yes, last. ardor addition in addition to order. Yes, both. Held in tension. <laughs> As it were. Well, how should we pray today, Bruce? Well, I think we should pray for our church and all churches. Mm. Do you want me to do that, Kurt? Yes, please. Thank well, you. Let's pray. Lord God, we... We thank you for the worldwide fellowship of Christians, our sisters and brothers of other tribes and other places, but all who are part of your family. We lift up the persecuted church to you, all those Christians that are living in places where it is dangerous even to claim the name of Christ. And Lord, we pray for their protection and for you to protect their hearts and their love of you. And Lord, work in us, in our church, that we would have a heart that longs to please you and a vision to be part of what you are doing in the lives of men and women and boys and girls, drawing them to you, drawing to them to the new life that you have revealed to us in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for your spirit to fill us and empower us that we would be uh, able and winsome witnesses to the reality of Jesus in our lives and in the lives of other Christians we know. Lord, guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk.